So we're in Acts 3. We're moving along to the the next chapter of Acts 3. Uh, And you might remember, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, what we've seen is Jesus, our Savior, ascend to, to heaven. And we've seen the Holy Spirit come and fill Christians. And we've seen the apostles have preached the gospel. And the people ask them, well, well, what should we do? And, and their answer, Peter's answer, as we looked at it last week, was repent and, and be baptized. And, and that day, 3,000 people do just that. They do repent and they are baptized. And then we saw a, a snapshot of the, the early church, kind of, you know, what did they do during this period of time? And, and we were able to see that they met in homes and they shared food and they, they went to the temple and they worshiped God together. And they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then as chapter 3 now begins, uh, we're going to see that, uh, you know, a period of time has, has passed. And, and Peter's speaking to a totally different group of people, or at least a significant different group of people here. And we're going to look at the whole chapter today all in one go. It's 26 verses. We'll look at it in, in three different sections. And the first one's going to be verses 1 through 11. Uh, so follow along. Open up your Bible. There's one in the pew in front of you if you need it. Uh, I hear the interweb has the Bible on it. You're certainly welcome to use that. Uh, so... Acts 3, verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask for alms of, of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And he leaping up, leaped up, he stood, and he began to walk, and he entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran to them in the portico called Solomon's. The grass withers and the flower fades. Let's pray. God, this is your word. And we desire to understand it and to apply it to our lives in ways that show that you are the Lord of our lives. Please enlighten our minds by your Holy Spirit who dwells in us so that we will love your word. Lord, make us generous with what you have provided us with. Make us also quick to see our own sin and quick to repent so that we might find refreshment in you. Help us to focus on your word this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I grew up in Houston. You probably know that from my obnoxious Astro stuff. But uh, growing up in Houston, we actually saw a large number of homeless men and women. Almost every place we went, even on the outskirts of the city, you'd see them at intersections. Uh, And only we didn't walk past them like we see in this text here. We drove past them, typically with our windows up and finding reason to look the opposite direction rather than at them. During high school, though, I did actually get to know some people in this situation uh, for less than honorable reasons. Uh, 
Uh, a friend, few friends and I actually uh, found this brilliant concept of how we're going to make money for prom, and so we made this sign that said, why lie, need prom money. And we went out and stood on a major intersection with these signs, uh, and people in their cars thought it was hilarious, and people laughing tend to give a lot more money, apparently. Uh, they gave us tons of money, more than we even needed in just a few days. Uh, however, we found during this process, we actually got to know the other people on the street corner with us. Uh, and they were pretty upset because this was their place. And we had invited and in, invaded, rather, their actual corner. And really, that was the first time in my life that it ever occurred to me that, that most of these people in need actually went to the same location every day. They were real familiar there. Uh, I've noticed since that I, I tend to see people that are begging in the same place over and over and over again until they become very familiar. Uh, the more we got to know these people, though, the more that we, we really felt for them. The more we started to realize what jerks we were standing next to them with this sign. Uh, and eventually we, we stopped, not before going away with way more money than we needed, uh, which was always attempting to go back for. Uh, <clears throat> but we look at our text today, and we see something similar here. We never learn the name of the lame man who is begging for alms. We don't know his name. Um, alms, though, you, you, know, you know that word. It's just an ancient word for money, uh, money that's been given to the poor. Uh, and lame, we use it as an insult today, but lame was really just an, a term that means he was unable to work. He was paralyzed. And this text is clear. It's not a result of some injury. It's not like he could walk and eventually was paralyzed. Uh, from his birth, he had this disability. And, and like I said, we don't know his name, but we do know this is his lot in life. This is his situation. We know it's 9 a.m. in the morning, and everyone's going to the temple. It's kind of rush hour in a sense, because this was one of two key times of, of prayer in the Jewish life. There was 9 a.m. and there was 3 p.m., and, and that mirrored what were the, the times of sacrifice previously. Uh, so every day then, some kind people, we don't know their names either, clearly carried him to this gate, and they tried to put him in a position where he was most likely uh, to, to, to have exposure to people who might donate to him, who might give to him. And so day in, day out, this is his life. And the majority of people passed him, uh, just like we do today, right? We kind of look the other way and pretend they're not there and try to get by as fast as we can. And, and they avoid eye contact. And what we see here, though, is that Peter sees him and he looks at him. There's this intentional gazing at him. And he even calls the beggar's attention, you know, look at us. That's probably nothing he had heard before. Even people that give would probably give and, give and keep going. But he tells them, look at us. And so you can imagine the excitement. In fact, the text even tells us that he is expecting to receive something. And he's excited about that. And Peter lets him down immediately. He says, I have no silver or gold. You can imagine for a moment just his heart sinking at this, this aspect that he has nothing for him. But that doesn't stop Peter from giving him what he does has, have. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. And the man does just that. For the first time in his life, he stands up on his own ankles, his own legs, and his own strength. And it says that he was walking, and he was leaping, and he was praising God. This is a beautiful reminder to us that even if we have very little in terms of finances to give, so long as we know the gospel and we love people, we have something to offer. And I don't mean leaving a track of, uh, uh, instead of a tip at the, for the waitress. Uh, don't ever do that. Um, that's absolutely despicable uh, in the sense that you were going to leave that instead of the tip that they deserve. 
what I mean, though, is, is that the gospel message that we carry with us is, is eternally and deeply restorative to those who God has made ready to receive it. I think sometimes we honestly forget just how beautiful the gospel message is that we carry. And, and so this grown man, you know, first receives this healing and, and he leaps with joy. You ever seen a grown man leap with joy? You have, unfortunately. I guess it's fortunate. We see it all the time, actually, at sporting events, right? 40,000 of them at once, leaping with joy uh, over a child's game being played. Uh, and, and so it's not so strange. But if you see just one, one grown man on the street or wherever you might be leaping, it actually would catch your attention a lot more. Uh, if somebody walks in here leaping and jumping, it would probably make you all turn and look at him. Um, I do love this. I love the fact that this man has these emotions and he's willing to express them in this way. I think, you know, honestly, that's something we could, we could do well with, or, or we would do well to actually gain some ability to show our emotions, to show just how great God is, even if it's just lifting your hands in worship, and I hope you feel free to do that. Um, so now, here's the thing about this text that really you don't expect, I didn't expect. Uh, the man being, being healed, that's not the point of this text. The man being healed is intended to draw our attention to the point. You see, the, the crowd recognized the man from walking past him day after day, and they identified him. That's the lame man. That's the man who can't walk. That's the man who's always begging. And, and, and so when he walks into the temple with Peter and John, and he's leaping and praising God, everyone turns to look at this. Uh, it'd be like Stephen Hawking walking in here right now. I mean, you'd be amazed that it's Stephen Hawking, but the fact that he's walking would be even more amazing. Uh, because we've come to know him. His reputation is someone who is in a, a wheelchair. Uh, and so it would be an absolute jaw-dropping miracle, which is, which is why verse 10 is exactly what we should expect to happen. Look at it. It says, And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They wanted to know, how was this man healed? And, and what we see next is that the blessing was not merely for or even primarily for the beggar. It was for those who come to listen and they get to hear Peter explain the gospel. And so the crowd gathers around Peter and around John uh, and they gather to listen. Uh, so look, look what they say here. Follow along as we read verses 12 through 16. Peter shares with these people, these curious people, uh, the answer they're looking for. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name by faith by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is, that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. Can you imagine how powerful Peter feels at that moment? The temptation towards pride. I mean, and, you know, he's just by his words watched God heal someone who has been paralyzed their entire life. You'd feel like a, a superhero of some sort. But he doesn't, you know, immediately. I love just how quick he turns this around. He tells them, don't be amazed. 
Don't be amazed at me. Don't be amazed at John. It's not, it's not us. It wasn't by our power that this happened. It was by, by God's power that this happened. You know, that, that should absolutely be a model for us. That he takes this amazing event and he points it right back to Christ, right back to his Savior. Uh, the hymn writer Ada Whittington, 125 years ago, penned a verse in, in a hymn that, that actually reflects his attitude. She wrote, Not I, but Christ, be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, but Christ, be seen, be known, be heard. Not I, but Christ in every look and action. Not I, but Christ in every thought and word. We look back at our text, then in verse 13, Peter's reminding them that the very God they claimed to worship, the very God whom their forefathers worshipped, did amazing miracles in the life of, of Jesus. And he did these to confirm that Jesus is the Messiah. In verse 16, then he ties it all together. He's saying, listen, the amazing miracle of healing that you have just witnessed with your own eyes, it is meant to make the very same point, to show that Jesus is the Messiah. It was done in the name of Jesus, that is, faith in the name of Jesus. That's the power by which this man was healed. Remember, again, this is a new group of people he's talking to. A lot of this seems a little repetitive. You're thinking, he just shared all this. Yeah, well, he's talking to new people, and he's sharing a very similar story. And again, he points out that, uh, you know, they were part of this crowd not long before, the part of the crowd who was denying Christ. Uh, he's referring here to, to Jesus. He uses this beautiful phrase, the, the holy and the righteous one. You can put that down as, as names that, that refer to our Savior, the holy and the righteous one. That's a messianic title. It comes from Isaiah 53, 11, which, which reads, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. See, this is adding a little weight to what he's explaining to them, tying it back to the faith of their forefathers. And, you know, we see here, God sent the holy and the righteous one to them, and instead they chose a murderer to be set free while Jesus was sentenced to death. I think every time I think of that situation, it just pains me. I, I think Jesus or a murderer. I mean, my, my first response is condemnation on the, on the Jews there. Come on, Jews. That's a no-brainer situation. How could you miss this? You know? And yet, here they are shouting for the murderer to be released. But what would I do in that situation? What would you do in that situation? You know, maybe our choices aren't as obvious in life um, of Jesus or something else. What do we choose? I mean, you put anything to the test. Hey, you could have a beautiful body or Jesus. What do you choose? You could fit in with a group of friends and never have to worry about anything. Or we can choose Jesus. What do we choose? Financial security for your family or, or Christ. What do you choose? Uh, career success. Uh, maybe you could have a, a relationship with that boy or that girl that you really like. Do you take that or do you take Christ? Uh, we don't always have to make that choice. Praise God, we don't. Um, but what would we choose? I think it's too easy for us to look at the Jews and wonder, how could they choose the murderer? How could they choose him instead of Jesus? And, and yet I can't help believe that most of us in this room would be chanting with the crowd to put to death the very Savior who came to redeem us. You know, for better or worse, the heart wants what it wants, and we desperately need new hearts. Uh, see, there was this, this giant gap in their understanding of, of who Jesus really was and who they thought Jesus was. 
Um, and that's still true today. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one tells us, For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And that's why people are happy to talk about God. They really are. They're happy to talk about spiritual things all day long. But when we begin to speak about Jesus, that becomes this, this watershed moment. Remember the watershed. That's the, the water at the top of the mountain. And as it melts, it goes one way or it goes the other way. It's a watershed moment because those like this beggar who are ready to receive the gospel with joy, they go one way. And those who are blinded to the truth and find this message foolish, foolish or even offensive, they go a completely different way. Um, okay, so let's, let's look at this third section of Acts 3. Notice, I want you to, to notice this. Peter softens here. Uh, you have to look carefully to see this, but uh, whereas before he referred to the crowd as the men of Israel, uh, now Peter's addressing them as his brothers. Uh, he's acknowledging their, their sin, but he's also acknowledging that it, it comes greatly from ignorance, not, not so much rebellion. Um, also notice, though, that whether ignorance or, or active rebellion, the call is the same, a, a call to repentance. And so uh, follow along. I'll start reading in verse 17. We'll go to the end. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. <clears throat> Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So again, remember, he's speaking to Jewish people. Uh, these are people who have grown up with privilege. <clears throat> and I don't mean that in the negative sense. Uh, we tend to use that word as just a completely negative thing. Um, I, I mean in the positive sense. I, I mean that they have grown up and they've heard the stories about God's greatness. They've been taught the scriptures. They've learned the scriptures. They've been shown how to pray. Um, they've had the blessing of just growing up in this Jewish community. Uh, they even know that they're waiting for God to send a Savior. They're looking for that. They're, they're expecting that. <clears throat> and Peter even quotes to them in verses 22 through 25 exactly what Moses had said to the people, uh, which is essentially that they should listen to Jesus when he comes, uh, speaking the word of God to the people of God. Uh, but what did they do with this privilege? All that privilege, and, and we see up until this point, they've, they've squandered it. Uh, they reject Jesus. And, and that's that's really not that hard for us to imagine. Uh, we've got something similar in our own time, our own place in the world here. Uh, you know, the truth is, I, I see something like this, and I wish I could, I could preach it in the streets or, or dorm rooms or living rooms of, of people who have walked away from the faith that they were raised in. Uh, those who have grown up with spiritual privilege. Uh, those who have 
you know, in, in general have that. Just think about our culture. I don't know how often you just stop and think about the privilege we have where we live, that, that you know, there are Christian radio stations playing Christian music and Christian messages 24 hours a day. Yeah, we object to half of them probably, but, but they're there, right? Uh, there's Christian bookstores, and you can go in and you can buy books and children's books and Bibles and all sorts of trinkets that are ridiculous, but they're there. Uh, families who have told us about Jesus, families who have read us Scripture, Many of you learned the catechism. Many of you have been to Sunday school for most of your life. You've attended worship on Sunday mornings. Some of you grew up in Christian schools or homeschooled by godly parents. Those, those are all privileges and good things. And, and it might be hard for us to believe at times, but you know there are people in the world that have never heard the gospel. In fact, they could go to every friend they have and say, tell me about Jesus. And still never learn the gospel. And so, yes, we, we have privileges. And that's wonderful for those who have received them. You don't need to feel guilty for that. Uh, but people still walk away from the church. They walk away from faith, having never truly believed. See, we become covenant breakers, and it, and it can be heartbreaking to parents when they see this, and others who love them, others who care for them. Uh, and Peter's call, then, to the Jewish people here in this text is, that have failed to submit to the call of Jesus is that they can now in that moment submit to the call of Jesus. Okay? Keep in mind, though, he's not calling them to perfection. It's not a second chance to, you know, do it right this time. Uh, it's a call to faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. As simple as that. And, and like I said, verses 19 and 20 are, are not about second chances. They're not. They're a message of perpetual hope. Um, do this for me. This is the active part, right, to wake you up a little. Take these two fingers and stick them right here. Come on, Andrew, wake up. Put them right there. What do you feel? You feel that? That's, that's your pulse. That's blood flowing through your body. If it's not there, you're dead. Uh, and the fact that you're checking your own pulse tells me that we are the first to witness the zombie apocalypse. Um, but if it is there, like I expect it is, uh, then that means your heart is beating, and that means that there is hope for repentance, uh, if that's not already true of you. And that's repentance, then, is the action item of Peter's message. Verse 19, look at it. Plain and simple. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Now, I think repentance is a term in our culture that has, along the way, picked up some terrible baggage. What do you picture when you think of the word repent? Do you have anything in your mind? Is it a crazy guy in the street with a sandwich board on, you know, repent, the end is near, something like that? No? Um, I, I can still remember, actually, my, my freshman year of college. Uh, I transferred to A&M, so this was at Stephen F. Austin my first year, and, and either Westboro Baptist showed up or someone who was just like Westboro Baptist. If it wasn't them, they showed up, and they set up just across the street from campus where almost everyone parked and came across or, or came across onto the campus. Uh, and as we're walking, we saw their signs and we thought, well, that's strange. We'd never seen them before. Um, and, and so as we walked, the, the girl I was walking with was wearing shorts. Nothing crazy, nothing scandalous, just shorts. And, uh, and they referred to her as a, a whore for wearing shorts. Uh, of course, I responded back to them. I was really taken aback from this. And uh, they called me a few derogatory terms. Uh, you know, I had an earring in my left ear at the time. I was wearing a necklace, a silver cross necklace, but I was wearing a necklace, and uh, all these were reasons for them to, to say some derogatory things to me. Um, and I remember looking, and there among the signs was 
you know, these signs that are saying God hates you and all these terrible things, uh, was this one sign that said, turn and burn, uh, and others that even had the word repent in them. And it made me so angry that, that here we are in campus, and we're, you know, we're trying to reach these people as believers on campus, and, and that these people were going to become the face of repentance. You know, I, I look at that, I'm thinking, Jonah was more loving in his call to repentance for the Ninevites uh, than these people are. And, and I mention this because I want us to, to not let angry, hateful people like that be the face of what repentance or a call to repentance looks like. I, I say that because we almost need to recalibrate even our own understanding of this term repentance. When, when Peter uses the word repent here to the Jewish brothers of his, it's not with anger and hatred at them or even in for the sin that they've done or, or the rejection of Christ. It's with hope. Hope that they will repent, turning to Jesus, and so receiving the wonderful blessings which come with it. Uh, you know, imagine for a moment that you, you knew of how my college loans, my college debt, or my mortgage payment could just be removed forever. Would you tell me how to do that? I mean, would that be something you came and told me because you thought I, I needed that? I mean, get that in your head, and, and you you've got a better idea of just how beautiful the gospel message is, a message that reveals to a sinner how their sin can be blotted out forever. And that's, that's the result and the goal of repentance. Look at verse 19. It says it. Well, I mean, look at it. Repent, therefore, and turn back. That, meaning here's what will happen if you do, and it says that your sins may be blotted out. You see what we call repentance a call to repentance is a loving and merciful call. It leads us to the only one who can accomplish for us salvation, to Christ. It's, <clears throat> this is the only place in the New Testament that that term blotted out appears, but it shows up all over the Old Testament. In fact, uh, it's even in Psalm 51, that glorious chapter in the Psalms on, uh, on repentance. There in verse 1 it says, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. See, the call to repentance is, is a call to turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. And, and verse 20 then tells us uh, a second result of repentance, right? It says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. When we embrace sin, uh, in general or individual sin, it is crushing to us. It makes us less than we are. It makes us bitter and, and anger and prideful. You see what he's saying here, though? That there is hope. As Peter says here, when we turn to Jesus, the experience, we experience times of refreshing. See, if, if anyone understands this, it's, it's Peter, right? I mean, we talked about him before. It's, our logo is based off of Peter and his restoration. Uh, but in Luke 22, 32, before the crucifixion even, Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Remember, Peter does betray the Lord. But later he turns back and Jesus restores him completely. See, Peter understands failure. He understands turning back. He's experienced the refreshment that, come, refreshment that comes from that repentance. And he wants that for these men he's speaking to. It's out of love that he's saying this. And calling them to repentance. He's, he's presenting them with this beautiful gift of love. Not a punishment for their failure. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10, uh, Paul's going to make a distinction between the 
uh, feeling bad for sin and, and actually turning to God in repentance. There he writes, and, and again, this is 2 Corinthians 7, um, 9 to 10. He says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So the last benefit that goes with our, our sins being blotted out and with our times of refreshing uh, from the Lord's presence is, is that phrase in verse 20. If you look at it, it says, We repent so that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Uh, this is a reference to the second coming of Christ that we, we look forward in, in time to. Uh, a time when he comes to, to take the men and the women and the children whom he has redeemed to his fully established eternal kingdom. Okay, so let's, let's pull this to a close here. Uh, you see that last verse in our text? It says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. See the motivation there? To bless you. He's speaking to Jewish people at this point, but as we're going to see soon, uh, this will be expanded to the Gentiles, to everyone. Uh, and the hope is to bless the one who receives the gospel. Uh, and so I want to consider this on both sides of that gospel message. When you seek to share the gospel with someone, do so in love. Do so with the goal to bless them, uh, with forgiveness and, and refreshment that comes from turning to Jesus Christ. You, you, you can honestly look your unbelieving friends in the eye and tell them you need the Lord. Turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins and, and for refreshment. You can honestly say that to your friends. Uh, the other side of this is our, our own ongoing repentance. Uh, see, I don't know your sin. At least I don't know your worst sin. I probably know some of it. Uh, and you don't know my sin. And you might think, you know what, my sin is just too terrible. Uh, if that's your thought, I want you to consider our text today. God is forgiving their sin. Well, what's the specific sin he's, he's looking at here? I mean, what's one of their sin at least? It's, it's that they killed Jesus. They killed God's son. They killed the second person of the Trinity, and God is forgiving their sin. So I don't care what your sin is. It doesn't matter how despicable it might be. You might tell it to another human, and their face cringes up because of it. But God will forgive that sin in Christ. Uh, and so hear the call today. Whether for the first time or as an ongoing way of life, as Peter has said, and we'll close with this, he says, Repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are the holy and the righteous one. You are sinless, but we are sinful in this life. Please give us tender hearts which are willing and able to repent, so that times of refreshing may come from your presence in our life. God, as we leave here today in a bit, I ask that you would give your people rest, rest from anxiety, rest from loneliness, rest from work that you have graciously provided us with. Uh, may we be renewed for the week that you have ahead of us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.